You're listening to The Jill Monaco Show, episode number two with Aaron and Sarah Schust. Welcome to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm your host, Jill. Each week, I hope to bring you a message that inspires, encourages, or challenges you to go after and live a life you love. Join me and my friends as we explore what it means to love God, love ourselves, and love others. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Here we go. On today's show, you are going to hear one of my favorite stories on how God healed against all odds. My friends Aaron and Sarah Schust have walked through some trials with their children that no one should have to walk through. They have three incredible boys, Daniel, Nikki, and Michael, and they live in one of my favorite cities, Nashville. You probably know Aaron as an incredible singer-songwriter. He was named Artist of the Year and Songwriter of the Year at the GMA Dove Awards in 2007. His song, My Savior, My God, received the award for Song of the Year, too. You can find his most recent album, Love Made Away, at AaronSchust.com. But what you may not know is that their son, Nikki, was diagnosed with an incurable disease and nearly died. A year later, his other son, Michael, was born with several challenges. I got to know Aaron when I was the director of an artist program. His audiences raised enough money to translate the Bible for people who didn't have it in their language. We went to Tanzania, Africa to give out the Book of John in several different villages. I later met Sarah, and we became fast friends. She is a powerful woman of prayer and faith. I can't wait for you to hear from her. I love these two people so dearly, and I can't wait for you to learn what an incredible couple they are, too. In this episode, we talk about what Nikki faced as a sick child and how prayer brought him through. You'll get a close look into the full story of how Michael got miraculously healed. And you don't want to miss what Sarah and Aaron are saying really is challenging them right now. So be sure to listen to the end. I promise they will inspire you and they will encourage you. They will make you fall in love with God all over again. Before we get into the show, I want to thank our sponsor, Oasis Audio. Without the sponsors, I wouldn't be able to do this podcast. Oasis Audio is a Christian audiobook publisher that has so many great titles for you to choose from. Some of their audiobooks feature me as the narrator. So you may want to check out Wait and See by Wendy Pope or a really cool fiction story set in World War II called With Love Wherever You Are. As a side note, I had to do over 10 different accents on that one. So you can find more titles at oasisaudio.com or wherever audiobooks are sold. With no further delay, let's get to the podcast. Aaron and Sarah, I'm so thankful that you're here. Welcome to my brand new podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, it's been a while since we've seen each other, and I was praying about who I should have on the podcast, and I really was reminded of some of the incredible experiences we've had together as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and um, I can't wait for people to hear uh, all the things that God has done in your family, Um, but I want people to know how we really got connected. So, Aaron, do you want to share a little bit of that? (laughs) You put, yeah, I'd be (laughs) glad to. Um, I was actually in that building a couple weeks ago thinking about that. Uh, up in Chicago. I hope we're thinking about the same yeah. event. This, yeah. is, this is the one I'm recalling yeah, <laughs> at the uh, Harvest Bible Chapel. And yeah. uh, this was 2007. I think it was in the spring. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was doing my very first headline tour with 
Brandon Heath and Meredith Andrews. And Meredith, this was her home church. Also, your home church. Right. She's and, a good um, friend of mine. She's awesome, yeah. And she's become a good friend of ours as well. Um, so that uh, it, the show ended, and I went back to my green room, had the lights out, and I was not falling asleep, just kind of like closing my eyes and exhaling before I went out into the, uh, to, the, to meet some people afterwards. And, and you had left your purse in that room earlier in the day, I think. I was on worship team, and so, yeah, I had left my purse in there. So it must have been a Sunday or something like that. So you had sung that day? Right. Yeah, and you, and you, she's like, I'm, you said, I'm sorry, I left my purse in here. And then we talked for a little bit and um, kept in touch since then. Many adventures since then. Yeah, I love how God does that. Like, you meet somebody on a random thing. At that time, I had no idea that um, shortly after that, I was going to move to Texas and be the director of an artist program. And then that's how we really got to know each other. Um, and just to tell the listeners how that all came about, uh, I was developing this program to work with Christian artists to uh, raise money at their concerts for Bible translation. And so you joined our team of artists, and we uh, sponsored one of your tours, this time with Big Daddy Weave. Yeah, which was really, it was, it was a big tour. We had 52 or 53 shows, I'm forgetting, over the course of two or three months, and, and raised um, raised enough money to translate the entire Bible into mm-hmm. the Ndamba mm-hmm. uh, language uh, with a people group who lived in Tanzania in the middle of nowhere. And um, so by November, we had raised all the support. And in January, uh, you and myself and my guitar player flew out because, um, Sarah, why were you not able to join us? Were you? I'm not really. Oh, oh, I know why. It's because of Nikki. Uh, this, was, this was the end yeah. of 2010. Um, we'll get back to that in a moment, I know. (laughs) But um, in January of 2011, we went to Tanzania and were able to hand out the completed book of John. So the whole Bible was funded, but they hadn't finished finished translating uh, just just only the book of John. So we were able to hand deliver the book of John to this people group who had never had the Word of God in their own language before. Pretty incredible. It was. And I remember we had car trouble trying to get out to these small villages and we had that one day where, you remember that little church we came across and they were like just worshiping, they're having their worship team rehearsal and we just were in awe? Yeah, yes, in Morogoro. Am I saying that right? Does I that ring it, a bell? I think it was near Morogoro, yeah. Yeah. I'm remembering road troubles more than car <laughs> troubles. <laughs> no, we did, like a, we, we, a tire went flat or, oh, I know what you're thinking of, on the way back, maybe. I, yes, and we just hung out in the back and they were dancing and... Mm-hmm. Yep. Jill, I had forgotten about that. Absolutely. It was, wow. It was so fun to watch, it, watch these people worship God in a way that was totally different, you know, than our culture. Yes. And no locked doors on the church. I'm not sure they had doors. You just kind of walked in the open air opening mm-hmm. and, you know, some, some white people walked in the back and watched, <laughs> watched a, a worship. I couldn't tell if it was a worship rehearsal or a service. It was like one and the same. We were the audience, so we were the congregation. Just, right. Just a couple of us. But we were super grateful to have the one place that we stayed that had air conditioning. They did have air conditioning, but it turned off. It it didn't stay on all night, did it? Oh, I think we stayed at two places. One place it did turn off, and we were like in those, it was a small room <laughs> with no windows, so we couldn't even get a breeze. You know what, though? I mean, and we could talk about these stories the whole podcast, I'm sure, but what, a, what an incredible encounter. Uh, mm-hmm. To be in a place where you don't have all the creature comforts and you're you're bothered by things, but then you're just amazed by so much you know, 
more important things, like the worship that breaks out at three in the afternoon when your car breaks down, mm-hmm. or just the just the beauty of the of the country. So, Sarah, we're uh, super bummed that you couldn't have joined us, but you were yeah. you were home taking care of the family who needed yeah. you, keeping people alive. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> so, um, you know. Speaking of, we had invited Aaron and Sarah to come on this trip with us, and um, Sarah couldn't come. But like we said, they were taking care of. She was taking care of Nikki. So Nikki is your second. Daniel's your oldest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Sarah, t- middle man, right? Nikki is. Oh my gosh, he's such a hoot. He is this. Oh my gosh, I have so many stories about Nikki when I stayed with you guys, <laughs> um, and I watched them for that weekend. But Nikki just cracks me up. But he had a really tough life when he was little. Tell, like, tell, explain what so people understand what you had to go through with Nikki's um, health. Yeah, when Nikki was about fourteen months old, he was sitting and having breakfast, and he coughed, and it wasn't like. There was something about this cough that was just different. It didn't sound like uh, a croupy cough or, you know, just he sounded sick, like really sick. And um, that cough led to another cough that just led to almost like uh, just this chronic congestion Mm -hmm. and just misdiagnosed for months and months and months. And um, finally, we had this doctor who has tried everything, he's tested, you know, done all of, all of the tests, and he said, there's this, there's this thing, he probably doesn't have it, but I'm going to test for it anyway, and um, I said, what's it called? And he said, well, um, it's called eosinophilic esophagitis, and I said, can you write that down? <laughs> and uh, he said, sure, he said, but he probably doesn't have it, so, you know, don't get, don't get upset when you start reading about it. And sure enough, that's exactly what he had, which is this abundance of white cells in his esophagus. But Nikki not only had them in his esophagus, he had them down into his stomach and into his small intestines, and his body was just riddled with these with these cells. And it really it it made it challenging for him to be nourished at all because um, he his body would just reject everything that he ate, even water. Uh, it got to the point where he couldn't even consume water. He would just vomit um, everything. And so he was losing weight quickly, and um, we couldn't, we just couldn't nourish him. And this Africa trip actually was when we were kind of in the middle of all of that. Yeah, and that's so hard. I know on Aaron, you too, being away, he was, Nikki was sick when we were on that tour, and then in Africa as well. So how did, tell us what you were going through, just knowing that you couldn't be there. Well, like you said, he was our second child, so we had only one at the time who was older, and he was um, in, in those emergent situations where Sarah would take Nikki to the hospital and, and stay with him, never, never leaving him there, uh, mm-hmm. but staying with him overnight in, in uncomfortable chairs. Uh, our oldest was taken care of by friends, and even then that was tough, as much as he's having fun with those friends at, at bedtime. And so he's like he's four, three and a half, four yeah. at the time. Okay. Um, he's missing his mommy and his daddy. Uh, he's an independent child, but still he, he loves to be home. And so there were, you know, times that I would call that the, the house where he was staying and like, we'd get on the phone and he'd, I'd say, how's your day? Good. And he'd get a little weepy because mm. it's bedtime and the bedtime routine is, is fine, but without his daddy, without the little things that, that happens at home. And that was really hard for me. Um, it was hard knowing that, um, that I was away. I felt very irresponsible, even though I was 
you know, earning a living and providing mm-hmm. for my family financially. Right. Um, the, the comments that would come, not directed to me, thankfully no one was bold enough to do that, but there were people who were bold enough to tell my wife that she needed to tell me to come home. And, um, and so I was open to that idea. Like, do I need to come home? This seems like the right thing to do. And, and Sarah's response was, this, you know, you're, you're out earning a living, and I'm home taking care of the kids, and I am with him right now. There's nothing you're going to do but come into the hospital and, and sit next to, next to Nikki. Um, I'll let you know, she said. She told me one time, I'll let you know if it becomes emergent that you come home right now. Don't worry. I'll tell you, you need to get on a plane right now and come home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it never got to that point um, where, you know, there, it came to, I think, Sarah, if I'm recalling, there was a couple times where we looked at the calendar, and I don't think I had to cancel anything. I'm not recalling canceling mm-hmm. any, any events or shows in the name of I need to be sitting by the hospital bed. No. Um, but it was hard. It was definitely hard to, to realize that my job involves me being out of state or out of the country. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a prolonged thing. It wasn't like he was in the hospital for a, a week and I took off work. Right. No. You know, um, I, can't, I couldn't take off work for a year. Or two. Or two to, mm-hmm. to sit, you know. So um, that was kind of like something I needed, we, we needed to wrestle through or I needed to. I, think, I feel like Sarah was very clear about that. I needed to wrestle through that in, in my mind and in my heart that it was not irresponsible for me to be away, but my heart um, so badly wanted to be near my family. Mm-hmm. I actually think about when he did get so, so sick, when we thought this might be it, when we thought we might lose him. Uh, you were home. I was home. You were home, and you had a block of days uh, that it was about five days. In God's grace, I was in, home. In God's grace. Uh, yeah, you were home, and boy, I'm so thankful for those days where you were able to, you were able to come to the PICU, to the, you know, the pediatric ICU, and and <laughs> hold my hand, and you know, just I can I can picture you leaning over Nikki and just rubbing that sweet little face. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you were home for that. But they wouldn't let Daniel, age three, in with me. So again, yeah. he's staying with friends and. We had a, an incredible network of friends in the Pittsburgh area at, at our home church who um, mm-hmm. were so kind to. I mean, people were people were vying to get in line to take care of Daniel. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was a blessing. And some people don't know, like that was the church that your family was at, Aaron, for a long time. It's where we're from. Yeah, mm-hmm. my my parents at the time and still are living in Georgia. But that church, that small little church outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, was the church where my grandmother was saved in 1945. Mm-hmm. It's where my parents were, were married. It's my, where my dad grew up, where my parents were married. It's where I was dedicated and baptized. And so uh, we, after, after graduating high school and heading south, um, going to a school in Georgia and working at a church in Georgia where Sarah and I got married, um, we eventually moved back to Pennsylvania and spent almost seven years in Pennsylvania during this season where um, sickness seemed to be a big part of our family story. Yeah. So it's so great to show the really what it looks like as a body of Christ to come together and support you. And I know that yeah. you just have a special place um, in your heart for that church. And it, I just found that incredible generation after generation of your family pouring into that church and then it coming back to really serve you and your family. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's so important to be in a church family. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, 
I remember that while we were on the road, um, we had been praying for Nikki and for healing. And I think that was a season where I was just starting to discover how God really is healer. And we say, yeah, I'll pray for your healing, but I started to expect it um, by being around certain people in, in the church I was going to at the time, Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. And I was starting to hear about how God was healing people miraculously. And so I, the faith started rising up in me. Um, and I think of the verse that says, signs and wonders shall follow those who believe. And so I started to believe that God was going to heal Nikki. And that really is part of his story. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I remember. I remember clearly. We were in the hospital again. Um, we would normally go in for a minimum of three to four days just to stabilize him. Um, but you know, we were usually back within a couple days again, and it was just it was cyclical. You know, just this mm-hmm. this need of care in his life, and they would do these periodic biopsies just to test his levels and see where they were at because. You know, really keep in mind that his case was so unique, and there wasn't, at the time, a whole lot of literature written about it. They didn't really know how to treat it. They didn't know what to do with it. Now there's a lot more, but at the time it was practically unheard of. And mm. um, Nikki actually had the worst case on record um, that they knew of that children's had heard of. So they were really trying to treat it uh, aggressively but carefully, and so they would do these biopsies almost um, every, I can't even remember now, but it, was, it seemed like every six to eight weeks or so they would, they would do another one. And, um, and, they, and they did. We were in the hospital. She said, let's, let's, take another, let's take another biopsy. And so she did. They, they did the surgery the next day. She came back in and... Um, I remember just the way, even the way she walked in the room. She just, she almost looked like dumbfounded. Um, <laughs> but she walked in, and her and her two interns were were in tow. And uh, I stood up quickly off the chair, and because I knew she had results, and I was curious where you know where they were at. And she said, "Well, the results are in, and they've been double checked, and there are no signs of these eosinophils in mm-hmm. his body." And it was just like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I didn't know whether to, like, jump up and, you know, hug her or, you know, just drop to my knees. And yeah. um, I, I think I did both. I, I was over the moon. And, it, you mm-hmm. know, we shouldn't be in shock, right? But I was, right. I was a little bit in shock. <laughs> you yeah. know, we should, um, of course, anticipate the healing. But I was, I felt, I felt excited. Yeah. To have really witnessed firsthand our God who is healer. Right. That's, I just remember crying when I heard the news that, and it grew <laughs> my faith too, because this was something yeah. they didn't think he was going to get better from, right? No, no, it's, it's, she, it was made clear to me at the very beginning that this was considered a chronic and incurable disease, that it was mm-hmm. something that wasn't treatable, but it was, um, you know, something that they could just, uh, stabilized, basically. So, and to be clear, they gave they gave him nothing. There was nothing to give him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to he know. Just, like, there's he, no medicine. There wasn't anything that it it had to be God because there was nothing else that was going to heal right. him of this. Right. And when I um, 
I just have so many stories of staying with you guys, but he has so much personality. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, he does. I don't remember exactly what he said to me, but I was watching your kids for that weekend and making them breakfast and he was negotiating with me and you had told me what to feed him. Oh no, it was lunch. <laughs> it was lunch and he wanted breakfast. And I was like, um, no, we're having this. You can have this or this, A or B. And I had learned a well. little bit. <laughs> and he's like, don't you think it would be better if I had breakfast? I was like, well, you can have A or B. And I had learned from watching my friends with children, like, just give them options and just keep repeating and they'll eventually pick one. No, <laughs> Nikki was having none of that. <laughs> and then after I gave him breakfast, he looked at me and he goes, aren't you so glad we settled this? <laughs> yeah. So you did give him breakfast. I gave in. I totally gave in. And uh, and I wrote you guys. I think I sent you guys a text saying, I just, I lost. I'm a bad babysitter. <laughs> no, that's funny. <laughs> I just, uh, I just was writing a letter a couple of days ago, and I was describing each of the children. And, and Nikki, the very first um, thing I said about him was just that he's all sunshine. I mean, he is just, and he fills the room. Um, yeah. with light when he walks in and he just he has so many things to say and so many smiles to share and so many hugs to be given mm-hmm. and he just he just has so much personality for sure he does i just love that kid um <laughs> and and so you know we're so enjoying the, the god story of what god did with nikki but i do want people to know about michael your third son and uh, I remember you were pregnant, and we were at an event in Florida together, and uh, just looking forward to the season where Nikki has gotten healed, and you're about to have your third child. Um, yeah. And then I got a message um, that you had your child, and Michael was born with Down syndrome, and he was a special child. And uh, yeah. and I I just remember. You know, knowing that he had complications, um, but there was something special about him. Um, and I want you to, to share with people what his challenges were, and and then we'll, I want them to know the story of what God did to heal him. <laughs> How long is your show, Jill? I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did not know before he was born that he had Down syndrome. It was um, a complete surprise. And on top of that, he was born with half of a heart, and also very much a surprise. I remember even the doctor saying to me, you know, we're going to just check his heart out again. And I said, no, his heart's fine, because I remember them checking his heart, and they said his heart was perfect. And I remember even the woman saying, one, two, three, four. She counted the chambers of mm-hmm. his heart, and, and it was, you know, it was his perfect heart. And so I said, no, his heart's fine. And she said, well, you know, we're going to check it anyway, of course. And um they they discovered that he did in half it did in fact only have half of a heart and two little chambers but um, so he was born with that and he's had two open heart surgeries since then and he his heart actually uh, beats better than mine mm-hmm. and um, he was born profoundly deaf and he was uh, profoundly deaf I guess clinically on one side and severely deaf on the other and my understanding was that he could hear clearly. Um, uh, almost the lowest tone, and Aaron, you could probably speak better to this, but it was like the lowest tone, um, almost the vibrations of the really low tone. And so 
He's kind of like the subwoofer in the car next to you. You know it's there. You can't really hear it, but you can feel it. Yeah, that's and that's what it was. That's what would register. Um, but even on his test, they're they're called the uh, an ABR test, and you have to get so many of them before you know they start going down the path of hearing aids and cochlear implants and all that. But they did these tests, these ABR tests, and they would literally, even though they said he heard these really low tones. It was still a flat line, so his it was like flat line and then drop off. I mean, it wasn't even the slightest bit of of an incline at all. And you know, on a hearing test, you want to see these peaks and valleys up and down, up and down. And his was just flat line and dropped. And um, and you know, we saw this over and over and over. And they kept, you know, they were thinking he just has little tiny canals and maybe the test isn't working and so they'd bring us back in and they'd do another series of three tests and um, nine tests later they they said we believe your son is deaf um, and yeah that's just that's something you really can't even put language to the heartbreak of until mm-hmm. you've experienced it and you think about how you you sing to your child and, and you speak softly to your child and um you call your child, even from across the room, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they know your voice, and, and they learn their name, and, and it just all of the things, um, it just really grieving that loss. And, um, and even more so that Aaron is a musician and writes beautiful worship yeah. songs, and the thought that he wouldn't hear his daddy play or sing or really have that part of what's such a big deal in your family. Yeah, and you know what was hard even is I felt like he he craved it. He would hold his hand, Aaron, do you remember? He would hold his hand up on our throats while we talked. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it was almost that like he just enjoyed um, the the vibrations of our of our throats, you know, while we mm-hmm. talked. It's like he just, he really wanted to be in on this sound um, that he was incapable of hearing. So Sarah... You didn't give up yeah. on on um, praying for him to get his hearing back. So, and, no. and if I remember, you took him to a special event in New York. I did. I just felt this this stir in me um, from the Lord. Just you need to take into this thing. I knew our pastor and his wife were um, going to this event. It's uh, it's a college of prayer event, and they 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 just love prayer. It's a group of people that just can't get enough of prayer, and they believe that we serve a God who heals, and so do I. And so I said, I am all in. Well, and let me jump in here, and then you can tell the story about when it was there, because you were there and I was yeah. not. Because you, this is March, and this is like one, you told me like a week before that you wanted to go. It's a Friday, Saturday, or a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or maybe just two-day event, Friday, Saturday. So you told me a week before, I think I'm supposed to go to this, the College of Prayer, as you said is what it's called, in, um, in New York. And I'm saying, this is my last weekend before I go on spring tour for like two weeks. Let's barbecue, let's play games, let's rent movies. The College of Prayer is coming to Pittsburgh next month, just go then. And you're like, no, I think I need to drive seven hours to New York City. I'm like, all right. Because um, whenever you feel a prompting from the Lord, I don't argue with you. <laughs> and, um, and so then we had most of the discussion was whether or not I should watch Michael or you should take Michael. And we ended up on you taking Michael. Really, not logically, just you just said it would be easier that way. And, and I remember you saying in passing, I might even take him to the front for prayer. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even sure there was like a, a direct connection of why you should be going, except for the fact that the Lord was prompting you to go. 
if I'm recalling correctly. Well, full disclosure here on air, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I did feel that that stirring. Um, to bring Michael specifically to take Michael to the front. I think <laughs> I was the things you learn on air. Okay. <laughs> Surprise! Uh, I think I think I was. I don't know if anybody can. I don't know just if anybody resonates with this. But I just I felt this like this hesitancy to say I wanted to pray healing because what if it didn't happen? Right. You know, and so I, I just, I almost didn't want to do it. I didn't want to get Aaron's hopes up. I almost didn't want to get my own hopes up. So I just kind of said it in passing. <laughs> like I might even take Michael to the front for prayer. And my <laughs> response was, if you're driving to New York City, you're taking him to the front for prayer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying that. I thought, oh, I will. Um, so, so we went, and you know, really, could we pray for him at home? Absolutely, we could. Could we pray for him at our church with our? family that we love so much, yeah, we can, but there was something about the obedience Mm -hmm. of going. And so I went, and I was going with some of our church family there, and um, one, one, it was the first night, the one night, I was sitting next to a woman named Lisa, and uh, she said, why are you here? And I said, I want to pray. And she said, okay. She said, what do you want to pray about? I said, I want to pray for Michael. And she said, yeah, let's do it. Like, for what? I said, for his hearing. She said, does he not hear? I said, no, he's deaf. And she, there was this moment of, like, excitement in her, like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's. And she felt, um, she just told me this, like, last week, but she felt um, before the session began earlier that day she felt like the lord told her there would be a healing and so she was all in and excited to pray healing over something or somebody um so when i said i want to pray over his ear she was she was like yes giddy up let's go and um so it was late it was probably nine thirty um or close to 10 and and we went and we took him to the front a small you know not a real big church small church took him to the front and she just started praying, and we both put hands on his head and started praying. And I remember opening my eyes at one point just to kind of readjust to, you know, readjust the hold I had on Michael. And I realized people were gathering around us, a lot of people, and they were praying. And I remember he started to cry. It was just like he was fussy. And um, our pastor, uh, Joel, was in the mix there, and I remember him coming up to me and just saying, um, you know, why don't you why don't you just take him home at this point? And I woke up in the morning. He was still asleep. I, I realized he was, you know, still fast asleep in his little crib there and uh, was getting ready to leave, and I, or getting ready to go, rather, and I went back into the room where he was asleep, and I saw that he was, he was awake now, um, playing with the little, there was like a little mattress tag, and he was laying on his belly, kind of reaching with his hands, playing with the tag between his fingers. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to I'm gonna call his name. And he's never responded to his name, and you have to know at this point, he's almost, Aaron, how old would he have been? Like just a year? It was, oh, it was, yeah, like yeah. Six, 15 months. Yeah, yeah. And you can imagine in just over a year how many times I've said his name, and he's never responded to it. And I thought, I'm just going to go for it. So I, I kind of squatted down behind his crib, and I said, Michael, 
And he stopped playing with the tack when I said his name. And I thought, oh, did he hear me? No, I, did he, I think he heard me. And so I said, Michael, look at Mommy, Michael. And he pushed up on his arms, and he turned to the right, and he looked at me over, over his shoulder, and I came undone. <laughs> and in just over a year of his life, he had never responded to his name. And I, I, I was a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. and he undone. Could, so to be clear, he could hear ever since then. He, he could hear, yes. He clearly, there was not another well, thing that's, going on. You're describing Saturday morning. Jump ahead to Monday morning, two days later, when he had an already scheduled hearing, final hearing test. Yeah. The final test right before they were going to do, like, take step one of, of applying the cochlear implants, which is a surgical hearing aid implanted into the skull. Mm-hmm. They, so before they do that and take measurements in the ears, they do one final hearing test. He's already had nine that he failed. But let's double check. <laughs> so they double checked. And uh, I remember sitting in the hallway. Yeah, there's like a family waiting room. And I was sitting on the floor in that hallway with my back up against the wall and um, just praying and asking the Lord, like, would you, would you just heal this boy? If you haven't yet, would you do it? This is it. Yeah. Like, I felt like this was the last, last straw. Yeah. And uh, I, I looked to my left, and down that long hallway, I saw his nurse, the ENT nurse. And she's walking with a woman next to her, and they are both doing, you know, that really quick walk that you might as well be jogging? Yeah. That's what they were doing down the hallway, and they're holding this piece of paper. She was the nurse in, her, in both of her hands. She's holding it, and she's kind of shaking it because she's walking so fast, and tears are falling off of her face. And um, I stood up, and, and I met her in the middle of the hallway, and she said, look, she said, he hears. <laughs> look at this test. And I looked at it, and they were just those, those peaks and valleys up and down that the yeah. site I had never seen on any of his tests. They called it full range of perfect hearing. Full range wow. of perfect hearing. You know, Sarah, it strikes me that you really freak out nurses, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's my pleasure, too. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, Aaron, how did you respond when, uh, you know, Sarah, you know, I know that I know this part of the story, but Sarah, you called Aaron at the hotel to tell him what had happened. Yes, yeah, so, on Saturday you, morning. So, Aaron, tell me your side of what you experienced. I, it's not, I, I don't, I'm trying to go back to that moment. Um, I was not a doubting Thomas. You know, it's interesting. We talked earlier about like when prayers are, yeah, when prayers are answered and miracles do seem to happen. Um, that are I don't want to say seem to when when miracles do happen and it's irrefutable. Um, I think it's okay to to freak out a little bit. You know, I think of in the New Testament the people who were healed by Jesus, even the ones he said be quiet, don't tell anyone, they told the whole city, you know? Uh, it's not like, well, you are Jesus, I should expect nothing less from the Son of God, therefore I will remain calm. Like, man, they, they flipped out, you know? And so here I am on the phone with Sarah on Saturday, and she's telling me this, and I'm like, okay, so they prayed over him, and he cried. She called his, and I wasn't there to witness it with my own eyes, so it wasn't, maybe, maybe call it doubt, maybe call it doubt. What God gave me before Monday was on Sunday in between. She drove back from New York on Saturday because the event was over. 
we're at church on Sunday morning, and um, I was not leading worship. So um, I'm in the front pew, um, and we kind of had this unwritten system where we take turns where I'll hold Michael for a couple songs while Sarah is able to sing and close her eyes and raise her hands, and then we switch. Um, so at the end of the, of the worship time, I'm holding Michael, and they finished the last song and gave us permission to take our seats, and Michael is like like this is a podcast so you can hear me he's like basically blabbering like blah 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 and i'm like it sounds i mean this is like in the quiet place where they're starting to do like announcements or pastoral prayer or something and he's supposed to be quiet but he's singing and how would he know to sing unless he heard somebody sing and so i'm there holding him crying realizing i'm putting two and two together he can hear yeah. He can hear. And then it, it was 24 hours later at the hospital where the test came back, as Sarah just described, that he had full range of perfect hearing. Love that. So it was, uh, it was, it was the moment where I was, you know, I feel like I was the blind man or the, or the leper running through the streets of Jerusalem saying, I can see, I can walk. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was incredible. Wow. Well, I remember when I was staying with you guys for some time and we were visiting, um, I did my cross-country journey. And by this mm-hmm. time, I really believed in the power of prayer and, and healing. And um, I'll share that more on a different podcast. But so I was so in love with watching Michael when you would sit down to the piano the first thing he would stop, whatever he was doing at that time, he kind of walked on all fours with his butt straight up in the air and he would walk over to you. And I actually have a little bit of video of him like crawling up and lifting himself up onto the keyboard to play with you. Mm-hmm. And and we had Chris. It was Christmas time, so there was Christmas music on, and he would go over to where you had the music, and he would rock back and forth and just dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I, I can't imagine how um, delightful this is for you guys to see this miracle in your child who, in my opinion, just from what I've observed, just loves music and loves to worship already. Yes, he loves, loves, loves music. Um, I, I've, I've joked that I could, I could play through those Christmas songs in concert no matter what distractions would come without making mistakes because I practice at home with distractions. He comes <laughs> up and plays along with me, and it's not always... Sometimes, actually, Sarah, you could testify to this, sometimes he hits the right notes. We're like, good job, buddy. That sounded great. <laughs> That's so funny. And your other kids have started playing instruments, so are, is Michael, what are you thinking? How old is he now, and what are you thinking about his future music career? Michael's five and a half, believe it or not. He's he's a little guy at twenty. Did you say twenty three pounds, or is he at twenty four yet, Sarah? Oh, if he's on twenty four pounds, twenty four. That's fantastic. Of <laughs> nice, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, Daniel has taken a couple of years of piano lessons and said that he wanted to try guitar. So um, we're going to let him fool around on guitar for a little bit. Nikki has drums firmly set in his mind. He's he's a rhythm rhythm guy. He's always hitting something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think you know we're not we're not pushing it. We just relocated to Nashville ten years ago. I've been living. I'm sorry, ten years ago, ten wow. months ago. I've been. I was going to say I've been working in this town for twelve years, and uh, we, we've just relocated here. So we we're, we're trying to slowly assimilate into life in a different state. They just finished their first year of public school, um, mm-hmm. getting used to uh, life at the new church that uh, we've been led to. And uh, so we haven't, I, I say all that to say, we haven't thrown them into sports yet. We haven't thrown them into music lessons yet. Yeah. Um, after a full day of school, they've been able to come home and have a peaceful evening with the family yeah. during the week, during the school year. It's been good. 
And so this is kind of a season where um, it's a transition season for you, um, just mm-hmm. moving to Nashville um, mm-hmm. with your family, which I can only imagine, Sarah and, and Aaron, is a challenge with the things that Michael needs and finding new doctors and, and uprooting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. what is the thing that you find God is really speaking to you about in this season of your life? Because you've, th- you've gone through hard. You've seen God do miracles. What's going on right now? It's a great question. I wish we had a quick, easy answer for you. <laughs> I don't know. I was just telling somebody yesterday that it's, how did I describe it? It's a season of peace, mm-hmm. not necessarily a season of rest. Those you know, could be misconstrued as the same thing. Um, but, you know, I sing this night after night, the peace that passes understanding is my song. And so there's a lot of questions as to what the future may hold. Our kids are growing up fast two of them at least. <laughs> One seems perpetually <laughs> infantile, but we're going to have him forever, Lord willing. And uh, so, you know, we, we find ourselves in a, in a new season, and that's good every once in a while. Um, and we don't quite know why we're here. I'll just say that flat out. We, we've mm-hmm. followed a prompting of the Lord, the Spirit on our hearts to, to move here, and we don't necessarily know why. We don't know if it has anything to do with music. We don't know if it has anything to do with Sarah or the kids or why, but we're just trying to be faithful. So maybe it's, um, maybe, I, mean, I don't mean to speak for both of us, but I'm kind of just analyzing my own heart here. Maybe it's a season of taking faithful steps forward, even if we don't know what the destination is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with all of that. This was, um, this was a surprise to us. We, years ago, thought when we were living in Atlanta, we thought, you know, where do we want to settle? Where do we want to put roots down and raise a family? And Nashville was at the top of the list. And we were able to come and, and house it for a couple weeks. And we did. And, and you know, Nashville is great. But while we were here, we just really felt like this wasn't the place um, that we were to put roots down. And, and I, I, I would still say... Uh, in 2007, that was not the case for us. I, I believe the Lord had us um, to go to Pittsburgh for mm-hmm. those for those years, and and we did, and we we loved it. That felt like home, and mm-hmm. the people there. <laughs> I was just writing about uh, last week how if if those people had to hold my heart outside of my body, they could keep it alive because they would they would attend to it, you know, and mm-hmm. just keep it beating um, the way that they they love me and they love our family. And um, they're, they're just some of the best humans on the planet. Mm-hmm. And we thought we would raise our babies and die there. And so when um, I felt like the Lord was, you know, really speaking to us to move um, and just to speak to that more specifically, I, I kept getting... Um, like my sleep, I would I would wake up in the middle of the night. It just I would see this picture of this this uh, it almost looked like a it was it was a monument um, like a roundabout circle. And I remember the first time I saw it in my mind, I'm like, what? What am I seeing? What is that? Um, and it had been you know ten years or so, not quite since we had been to Franklin. And um, but that's exactly what I was seeing. I was seeing that downtown Franklin roundabout. Which is a suburb south of Nashville where we're living. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember praying th- 
through it and just like, or the first time feeling like, that's weird. Um, yeah, I'm going to go back to sleep, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and then it happened again and it happened again and it would just be in the middle of the day um, in conversation. It was almost like my conversation would be interrupted by these pictures or, or this, the thought that would come to mind was that it's time to go. And um, I had a friend, um, I still have a friend, she, <laughs> I love her, she has asked me for years, when are you moving to Nashville? And I'm like, oh, stop it, we're not moving to Nashville. Um, yeah. But she just really felt like that was for our family. And, uh, you know, I, I remember sitting Aaron down and, and just saying, hey, i got to tell you something. And it was a crazy Tuesday morning, and um, Aaron, you want to tell this part of the story? <laughs> you told me to sit down and not say anything until you finished. <laughs> <laughs> I said it in a very loving way, just for the record. <laughs> to all the listeners, true, true. This, is, this is good marriage advice right here. <laughs> yes, listen. Be quiet. No, it was said, it was said with love. Um, but I really wanted to be able to get through it. I really just needed to say it because I thought, if I don't say this, I may never say it. Um, and with tears falling down my face, I said, I think we need to move to Nashville. And he said, okay. <laughs> he was like, no, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hold on. And he, I mean, he just trusts the, the Lord's leading. And I said, I feel like the Lord is, is leading us you know, to leave and, and move to Nashville. And, and to make a very long story short, um, within a few short months, we had sold our house and packed everything up and left. Well, I th- it reminds me of when you just felt like you had to go to New York with Michael. And yeah. the the yeah. history of, I think what's really important for for some people who don't really know, what does it mean to feel a prompting from the Lord or to hear God's voice? And that's one of the things I'm passionate about is because when we when we just spend time with God in the hard seasons or the seasons where there's nothing hard, just to cultivate that relationship, because, you know, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. We have that Amen. sense inside that some call gut instinct to just know this is what God's calling me to do. And it may not be some... You know, writing on the wall, um, but he speaks through dreams and promptings and um, that idea you can't get out of your head like you have experienced. And it doesn't need to be, you know, spooky or more spiritual than Jesus. It's just sometimes walking one in the fa- with the Father, you just know what he's calling you to do. And uh, There's and- almost a calm. There's almost a peace to it. I was just talking to a friend this morning on the phone mm-hmm. who felt like she may have had a prompting from the Lord and and this is unusual for her so I you know I was just curious I said how do you well how do you feel like what are you what are you thinking about it and she's mm-hmm. the very first words out of her mouth were I I feel calm mm-hmm. and I thought yes that's it that is so how our Lord is he's, he's yeah. a peace giver that way yeah, even in the things that don't seem to make sense and Sarah one of yeah. the things I love about you is you're just obedient to the Lord And you said Hmm. to me once, it is my honor to be obedient to the Lord. Hmm. Yeah, Uh, even if it hurts, even if I don't want to, even if I don't want to move to Nashville, or even if I don't want to say to Aaron, I think we need to move to Nashville. It is my pleasure, absolutely my pleasure, to be obedient to my Lord, absolutely. 
Aaron, I want to talk about your new live worship album. Um, I know that you've been recording Christian music for a while, and you, as far as what I knew about you, you always really had a heart to do worship. And so, tell me about the album. How did this come out? Well, it's um, it was the idea of a few friends of mine over the past decade to say you should do a live record, which I've always just said, yeah, that's a nice idea. No thanks. It's a lot. It's, you know, that's it's it's very exposed. You know, if you you know, it's just a lot of pressure. And I liked the idea of it, but I wasn't sure I was up to the task. And then when the record label said we think you should do a live record, I kind of kind of along the lines of everything we're talking about, it just seemed very confirmed. Like okay, doesn't matter if it's difficult or scary. I need to do this. And so um, I personally would, would probably describe 90, 95%, 99% of the songs I've written over the past 12 years um, or recorded as, as worship songs because they, um, whether they're prayers of petition or confession or just praise and worship, they're directed to God. And anytime the word you is in the lyric, you know, I capitalize it when I type it in the lyrics, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's addressing God. Uh, and that, in my, in, in my estimation, qualifies as a worship song. And that's what I love to do in concerts, not just singing about God, but singing to Him. Um, but so what makes, this, what makes this album different is that it was done live. And we went back, and I think there's 11 tracks. I think five of the tracks that we did are songs that, I've, that I'd already recorded and have been doing live in concert over the past decade and then um, wrote four more brand new ones and wrote a lot more than that, chose the top four, um, and then took two songs that we feel were you know, kind of growing and bubbling up in the church now and, and, and recorded those as well. And so it was, um, it was a lot of fun, uh, honestly, mm-hmm. to, uh, to rehearse with the band for, the past, you know, for two weeks before the actual event, and then we uh, brought in a a small studio audience and put lyrics up on the screen. We sent them the music in advance to say, hey, spend some time getting used to these songs and embracing these songs, and we'll sing them next Tuesday night. And uh, we got together and just had a great time of worship. And um, so really, really excited about this. It's cool to hear some of the songs, for example, like My Hope is in You, um, performed with a crowd singing along. To hear that, to hear the power of the, of the, of the vocals and the crowd singing along to the chorus, um, with the music accompanying it is uh, was pretty cool to me. Yeah. Well, what is is there a song that has a special place in your heart? Like there, you wrote it out of a a place of a personal experience. You know what? I really loved the. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say this came out of a personal experience, unless you want to count, and this this counts. Um, just my quiet time with the Lord. When a uh, when a verse that you're reading jumps off the page, and you're like, "Man, that's good." I mean, every once in a while, I'll underline uh, a line in the uh, a verse in scripture, and I'll put a little music note next to it because I just feel like this needs to be sung. Mm. This needs to be a song, and I get excited about that. And so, um, the song called "Belong" um, on the record, uh, I remember. I remember specifically writing the bridge and just loving that bridge, and it comes from both Ezekiel 36 and 37. Um, take this heart of, let me see if I get this right, take this flesh and bone, breathe your life within, take this heart of stone, make it beat again. Mm-hmm. So the first line actually comes from uh, Ezekiel 37, referencing the valley of dry bones. Take this flesh and bone, uh, breathe your life within. Um, in other words, you know, God assembled the, the vision of the, the valley of dry bones that 
that God showed Ezekiel. You know, the, the knee bone connects to the shin bone, that whole thing. But at the end, whenever the body is completely assembled, there's still no life in, that, in those bodies until God breathed his breath, his spirit, into them. And so it's a prayer that God would take this flesh and bone of mine and breathe his life within me. And I, I get excited about that. I love the illustration from Ezekiel. And then the same thing with uh, Ezekiel 36 when God says, I will, give, I will take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's a prayer as well. So um, we, and I took those two concepts and it just turned into a really, if you can say this, a really fun part of the song to sing. You know, it's kind of tribal and it's a bit of a chant. Um, and so uh, I get excited about that part of the song. If you could say one thing um, to people who are listening to the podcast about something that is really encouraging or inspiring you right now, uh, what would that be? I have such a desire for women um, to connect with the Lord, to know who He is, and to know who they are in light of Him. Um, you know, what are we created for? And be and to do, and I want women to know that, to be sure of that, um, to live that out. And so I think, um, for me, I think what inspires me right now is being able to connect with women and to be able to write and speak to women about these very things. And uh, I think, actually, this verse that is on repeat in my mind a lot is is Second Timothy four seventeen, and I think of you know the things that we've shared, even just the few stories. That's it, it's echoed in my in my heart for the last couple of years, but I see it starting to come to fruition now. And the verse reads, "But the Lord has stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it." And I think about that. Um, in, in in the nights, oh my goodness, the nights that I spent in the hospital uh, next to a baby that I wasn't sure was going to continue breathing, um, mm-hmm. he stood by me and he strengthened me. And boy, do I want my life to be a so that. <laughs> yeah. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed. And I want that for me. Boy, do I want it for you, Jill, and I want it for other women, and 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 I like the men too. But, <laughs> but my heart is my heart is geared um, yeah. to women. Well, I think the two of you have greatly inspired not only me but people who've listened to your story of faith and how you, really authentic you two are in living out things that are difficult and having faith and trusting God. And uh, I think Sarah's. If anyone wants to uh, reach out to Sarah to speak at their event. I think you would just love having her, if, as you can tell from listening to this podcast. She has a lot of wisdom and depth. And Aaron, um, you're just, again, one of my favorite humans. You love God so um, truly and fully, and you're vulnerable. And um, it's just, I wish people could really meet you and know just how the two of you are such a blessing, um, the humility that you walk in with the Lord and giving away what God gives you. Um, is just one of my greatest joys in being your friend. So um, thank you both. Very kind. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for being on this podcast and just sharing your heart. And uh, I look forward to visiting Nashville and seeing you guys soon. Yes. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Jill. (laughs) Thank you, Jill. 
So I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Jill Monaco Show with Aaron and Sarah Schust. To learn more about Aaron and his music, you can go to AaronSchust.com. And if you've enjoyed learning about Nikki and Michael and Daniel, their three amazing boys, head over to their Instagram pages. You can find Sarah Schust or at Aaron Schust. And I'll be sure to leave those links and anything else we mentioned today on the show notes at JillMonaco.com slash podcast. And while you're there, please leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts on this podcast. And so you don't miss an episode of The Jill Monaco Show. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram too. Just search for at Jill Monaco. And if you are inspired, encouraged, or challenged, please share this podcast with your friends and on social media. I'd appreciate it. Tag me with at Jill Monaco so I can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for tuning in today, my friends. And remember, love well. You are made for it.